Chapter 11 Well, that's not the reaction I expected. Mary Margaret. What? Local Steve hung up on me once I mentioned the journal. I think he's going to try to run. I need to get to Fairball Drilling and catch him. Where are you going? Marco looked up from his math homework as I tossed on my coat. I've got to talk to somebody. I checked my Glock in my shoulder holster and my car at my ankle before buttoning up. The guy that killed Ippo? I stopped short. How did you know it was a guy? I thought you weren't at her house when she was killed. He looked away. I wasn't there. I, I guess I don't know it was a guy. I was just saying. If you know anything, anything, tell me and tell me now. Once again, I had to resist the urge to treat Marco like a suspect. Smack him upside the head. He glared back at me, trying to look tough. I wasn't there. I told you that. Don't lie to me. The little ferret bastard stepped back. He shrugged his shoulders to adjust his shirt. I wasn't. Okay. I turned to Mary Margaret and tossed her my house key. If I'm not back by five, take Marco over to my place and fix him some dinner. I'll be back as soon as I can. Is this going to be a regular thing, Fitz? Me babysitting for you? Why, you don't like the extra hours? I'm just asking. Depends on if Steve Harrison killed Anna Maria or not. Faribault Drilling's two wells adjoined each other on one of the county's back roads. On a clear night, you could see them both from the highway, lit like a big city airport. Trucks hauled contaminated water away from the well at all hours, and the site hummed like two idling locomotives 25 hours a day. I don't like what fracking did to my hometown. Anna Maria didn't either. Everybody wanted the jobs that fracking built, as long as they weren't built close to their property. And yes, F-Town was desperate for the jobs. The steel mills that had employed a generation of men back from the war in Europe were long gone. The soundtrack to my high school years was the chirping of crickets and wind blowing through the empty downtown storefronts. I didn't like the dark underbelly that came with the boom either. Campgrounds were filled with transient workers who parked their RVs during the week and took their paychecks home with them on the weekends. The population that stayed, mostly young, single males, spent their time and money on what young men have always spent it on. Alcohol, drugs, fistfights, and women. There were also the long-term unemployed who wandered here looking for some kind of break. They came on rumors of job offers within 24 hours of arrival and a six-figure salary in their first year. When those promises didn't materialize, they turned to crime to keep afloat. Locals called the transients frack rats and their temporary housing man camps. It was short-sighted and xenophobic, but like it or not, these new folks were causing F-Town to become more and more homogenized, diluting those old ethnic neighborhoods and businesses. I watched the old-school Italian, Hungarian, and Polish businesses, the grocery stores, the butcher shops, the family-run restaurants give way to chain stores and franchised food. Drugs and prostitution were rampant, but that wasn't just limited to Fawcettville. It was all over Ohio. I couldn't blame fracking alone for the cheap heroin and opioids that filled our streets. At least the increase in income tax dollars allowed area medics to have an adequate supply of Naxalone, the nasal spray that brought many overdosed addicts back from the brink of death. It wasn't all bad. The fracking companies, of which Fairbolt was only one, were generous supporters of Fawcettville Arts, donating to the local community theater and the symphony where Gracie once played the cello. One company bought a new scoreboard for the Fawcettville High School football field. Another provided the matching funding needed for new bulletproof vests for both the city police and the county sheriffs. 
The need for housing spurred a mini-construction boom in new houses and apartment buildings, which brought more jobs, and the downtown was humming again with shops, restaurants, and foot traffic. People needed food, shelter, and the possibility of a good life. But why did it have to come with a price tag of tainted drinking water, never-ending white noise, and the occasional earthquake? I didn't have the answers. I'm not entirely certain anyone else did either. The locomotive noise got louder as I turned on the company's long dirt lane that led to the gate. I pulled over to the side to let a tanker truck filled with chemically treated water go by. As the tanker pulled past, a red Chevy pickup truck was close behind. The driver was male, about medium height with sandy hair, fitting the description Mary Margaret gave me. It had to be Steve Harrison. He wore a yellow safety vest over his coat, and his hard hat hung in the rear window behind the driver's seat. I whipped the excursion around in a U-turn and followed him. Harrison, if it was him, was impatient, repeatedly veering to the left, trying to find a wide spot on the dirt road where he could pass. Fortunately for me, oncoming tankers kept the red Chevy solidly in front of me. Back on the main road, the driver turned left as the tanker turned right, spraying gravel as he slid through the stop sign. I followed suit. Harrison's speed increased. Who else but a killer would be this scared? I punched the accelerator, making sure he stayed within sight. We flew down the road back to town. Harrison knew he was being followed. He turned corners sharply, cutting left and right through neighborhood streets, trying to lose me. He turned sharply into Pine Gate Place, a single-story development of studios and one-bedroom apartments, then slammed his Chevy into park. I pulled in behind him, blocking his truck in, and jumped from the excursion. Harrison was nearly through his front door when I reached him. I leaped to tackle him, knocking him the rest of the way inside and onto the drab brown carpet. I pulled him to his feet by his safety vest. For somebody who says he didn't have anything to do with a murder, you're sure acting pretty fucking suspicious, Harrison. What was your connection to Anna Maria, huh? Tell me before I beat it out of you. I never knew her real name. I didn't. I paid for her services maybe once or twice a month. She said to call her Delaney. I jerked him closer and Harrison put his hands in front of his face. What do you mean you paid? For what? Sex? I pushed him sharply. He fell into a faded easy chair behind him. I stepped forward and towered over him. No, man, I... I... He was terrified. Not the kind of guy who could kill Anna Maria. Would he call and threaten her? And what the hell was she involved in? What the fuck did you do with her, huh? Why would your name be in her journal? He laid his head back on the chair, defeated. There was never any sex. Not traditional sex. What does that mean? He was silent as he stared at the ceiling. He sighed and finally spoke. She was Mistress Delaney to me. I was her submissive. I stepped back, incredulous. Her what? Harrison leaned forward and put his head in his hands. You know, kinky stuff. She tied me up, whips, blindfolds, degradation, that kind of thing. But we never had sex, you know, intercourse. It was just the... the release. What kind of a fucking pervert are you? He raised his head and glared at me. Hey, I was never unfaithful to my wife. Not in the standard sense, no. You just like to have a middle-aged social worker tie you up and slap you around. Middle-aged social worker? Mr. Stellini wasn't middle-aged. At least I don't think so. She was tall and thin and had long black hair. What did this Delaney woman wear? That didn't fit Anna Maria's description. She was medium height. Her hair was completely gray. 
black leather, thigh-high boots, stiletto heels. And of course, your standard porn fantasy. What about her face? What color were her eyes? He shrugged. The shame of his secret hung on his shoulders. I don't know. She always wore a mask. Jesus Christ. Who was this Mistress Delaney? What was her connection to Anna Maria? Was Anna Maria's lucrative side hustle managing some sort of stable of kinky females to satisfy clients' darker desires? And did she do it herself? I couldn't see that. Maybe she kept the client list. Maybe did the scheduling, took a cut of the proceeds. And maybe when her horny brother-in-law showed up as a customer, she threatened to expose his extracurriculars to Carlotta, wound up dead. Or had Carlotta, so concerned about appearances, found out what her sister and her husband were doing? That didn't account for those threatening phone calls. Carlotta was even with Anna Maria when she received them. It wouldn't have been her. Could it? Was she lying to me? I turned my attention back to Harrison. Where did you play your twisted little games? Did she come here? Sometimes. There's a private club out east of town called the Velvet Rope. Members have keys. That's where I met her most of the time. Keys. There was a key with a journal. I didn't like where this was heading. How did you schedule your little private play dates? I called her and made an appointment. What number? He pulled out his cell phone and showed me Delaney's contact information. It wasn't Anna Maria's cell number, but I took a photo of the contact with my smartphone. Maybe a quick call could get the answers I needed. Listen, you can't tell my wife, okay? She's a good person. She stays home with my kids all week while I'm gone. Sometimes a guy just, you know? No, I don't know. Maybe once upon a time I did, but not now. I stepped back and offered Harrison my hand to pull him up from the chair. I'm not convinced you've told me everything, but I'm pretty convinced you didn't kill her. Here's my card. Wait, you're not a cop? I told you all this stuff and I didn't have to? No, I'm not a cop. I'm a private dick. I was hired by the family to find out if Anna Maria had something dark in her past that could have gotten her killed. Apparently, thanks to your information, she does. If you hear anything or think of anything you think might help me out, get in touch. Give me one good reason. How's this? If you've got information about my client's death, you let me know, and I won't call your wife to tell her about your little hobby. If I find out that you're in any way connected, or you know anything even remotely connected to her death, I'm telling the police. But not before I tell your wife what you do during the week. That clear? He flopped back into the easy chair and sighed. I thought so. I'll let myself out. It was close to six by the time I got home. Marco and Mary Margaret were sitting in front of the television set eating pizza. So, did Harrison do it, or will I still need to babysit for Marco? I tossed my keys onto the entryway table. No, he didn't do it. I still need you in the evenings for the time being. Did I miss anything at the office? Alicia Linderman called right before five. She said she can't make lunch tomorrow after all. My shoulders sank. She did say to call her at home tonight, though. I waited until after Marco was asleep before I called. She picked up on the first ring. Hi, Fitz, she said without any inflection. I tried a joke. Hi, you sober? Yes. Mind if I come over? <laughs> 